Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I'd love to chat with you. So send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Last week, we started a new series about our vision for the church in 2020. We discussed the why behind the way we do church, and today we're starting the discussion on the how. We're talking about bringing people face-to-face with Jesus. Today also features a special guest speaker, Mike Napier, but we'll start today's service with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Really glad you're here. Guys, sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing that we forget why we're doing it. When that happens, you start to drift. So sometimes we have to go back and remember the why. We started that last week. Why Capital City Christian Church? Why are we here? Why do we do what we do? Well, here at Root is our why. You ready? Because here at Capital City Christian Church, we believe there really is a God. Do you? And I know some are skeptical about that. You may be wrestling with that one. That's okay. We are glad that you're doing your wrestling here with us. But we believe there really is a God. And we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. We think God confirmed that when he raised Jesus from the dead. So when Jesus says, I am the way to God, I am the truth of God, I am the life that God meant you to live, we believe that's true. And if that is true, that means you need Jesus. You need Jesus for now, and you need Jesus for forever. See, we believe that doing life with God, for God, God's way, will make your life better, right? Because you were made by God to do life with God, for God, God's way. But it's way bigger than making life better. You see, we believe that every single one of us needs Jesus because, bottom line, we're a mess spiritually. All of us sin and are separated from God. And I can't fix me and you can't fix you. None of us are strong enough, smart enough, good enough to fix ourselves before God, but we believe Jesus can. That's what he came to do. So you need Jesus now. But it's bigger than that. Because we believe that dying is not the end. We believe that someday after we die, every single one of us is going to stand before Jesus and what's going to happen next depends on what we have done with Jesus. So we need Jesus for forever too. And it's not just about you. Your kids need Jesus. Your grandkids need Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. Desperately. How passionately do you believe that? And what are you willing to do to make that happen? We believe our parents, our grandparents, our sisters and brothers need Jesus. Our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors need Jesus. Do you believe that? How badly do you want them to find him? Our enemies need Jesus. Our world needs Jesus. And we believe that God has given to us a mission to bring people face to face with Jesus. Because once you have tasted his grace, he expects you to pass it on. So we say this a lot. Capital City Christian Church is on a mission from God. This church family is on a mission from God. And we have two jobs to do, to bring people face-to-face with Jesus and to drag them to heaven because people are prone to wander. Fact is, bring people face-to-face with Jesus, grow them into Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers because if you're not growing, you tend to drift. 
Now that has always been the mission of this church from the day we opened our doors in 1960. But how we have approached that mission has morphed. About 20 years ago, I preached a sermon in the old sanctuary. It's where the students meet now. And I tried to spell out our beliefs, our convictions about that first part of our mission, bringing people face-to-face with Jesus. And I started that sermon 20 years ago with three convictions. You ready? Here's number one. It wasn't politically correct back then. It wasn't particularly open-minded or tolerant back then. But here it is. We believe that people are lost without Christ. We believe people need Jesus. Without Christ, people face an eternity separated from God. The Bible says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name in heaven for people to call on to save them, and we believe that's true. We believe there are not many paths to God. You can't make your own path to God. Jesus came to do that for us. We buy that. Here was conviction number two. God wants every single human being, every single person, everywhere, all time. He wants every person saved. Do you believe that? Now, there's some Jesus followers who don't. But we believe God wants every single human being saved. Now, sometimes that's kind of hard for us to take because there are people that we're not particularly fond of. We'd rather not be a part of our family. But Jesus went to the cross for every single person, no exceptions. And God sent his spirit into our world to draw every single person to him, no exceptions. The Bible's very clear on this. The Bible said God doesn't want anyone to perish, no one. So he's giving everyone more time to repent. The Bible says God wants everyone to be saved, no exceptions, and to come to know the truth of Jesus. So guys, if God wants all of them, we do not have the right to pick and choose, right? Conviction number three, God commands us to share Jesus. We are his plan A, go figure. And this one's tough for a lot of us, but evangelism is not an option for a church. It's not an option for a Christian. Jesus said, I've been given complete authority, complete authority on heaven and earth by God, which means basically I'm the boss. And here's his first order, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And he wasn't telling that just to the early apostles. He wasn't just telling it to the early Christians. He wasn't just saying that to professionals like me. He's talking to you guys. If you have tasted his grace, then he wants you to share that grace with your kids, your friends, your family, your colleagues. Guys, that's how we taught it back then. That was first three points of my sermon 20 years ago, and we still believe that stuff now. But about 10 years ago, we made a course correction. We had to make a course correction because here's what happens. Every single church, every church, including Capital City, drifts from focusing on bringing people face-to-face with Jesus to taking care of their own. That's how churches drift. It's part of our sinful nature, I think. We start thinking like, acting like, it's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what I like. And I know they need Jesus too, but they can find Jesus doing what I want, what I like, what feeds me. And all churches start to drift, including this one. And when a church starts thinking that taking care of their own is more important than bringing people face-to-face with Jesus, that church has lost its way. 
So 10 years ago, we added another conviction to our list. Conviction number four, here it is. Reaching them is more important than serving you. Kind of hard, isn't it? Reaching them is more important than serving you. Here's what, here's what we said, and we meant it. Part one of our mission, bringing people face-to-face with Jesus, has to supersede part two of our mission, dragging them to heaven. You've got to get them on the ship first, right? And so 10 years ago, we committed Capital City to being a missional church, and we meant it. Now it's time to add another conviction to our list. Okay, you ready? I didn't make this one up. I didn't make up the language. I'm stealing the language, and it's not entirely new because we've been talking about this one for a little while now, but we think we need to start living this conviction out. Here it is, conviction number five. We will be willing to do anything short of sin to bring people face-to-face with Jesus, whatever it takes. We'll be willing to do anything short of sin to bring people face-to-face with Jesus, whether it makes me comfortable or not, whether we've done it before or not. We'll do whatever we can with the gifts God has given us to reach as many as we can as effectively as we can. Which means that we're going to do some things here that I don't like if we think it's going to reach people for Jesus. It means we're going to stop doing some things here that I do like if we think there might be a better way to bring people face to face with Jesus because it's not about us. We are on a mission from God, right? By the way, that also means that we have to eliminate, exterminate, eradicate any actions or any attitudes here that might be hindering them from coming to Jesus. Guys, I grew up in churches that were designed for church people, and I suspect many of you guys were too. Now, our churches would never have admitted it, but the idea was there, that corrupt and twisted and corrosive idea that church is for us, church is about us, church is for people like us. So if you look like us, believe like us, and behave like us, you're welcome to be one of us, right? Satan planted that idea, that corrupt, corrosive, twisted idea in the minds of Christians all the way back to the earliest church. Some of the earliest Christians who were Jews said to Gentiles, you can join our church, but you've got to look like us, believe like us, and behave like us. So you've got to get circumcised, you got to eat the foods we eat and avoid the foods that we avoid, and you got to follow our rules, and then you can be one of us. An apostle named Paul came along, and he started bringing Gentiles into the church without making them look like Jews first. He says, you don't have to look like us, believe like us, do the things that we do to be a Jesus follower. Imagine that. It's revolutionary. It started a fight, the first big church fight. And they convened this huge church council to decide what to do, to settle the argument. Do they have to believe like us and act like us and, and, and look like us to be one of us, to join our movement? James, the brother of Jesus who led that council, said, no. He says, my judgment is that we should not make it difficult. Don't make it difficult. Don't make it hard for those who are turning to God. That is huge. What he's saying is this, let God be God. Let him make the rules. Accept those he accepts. Don't add anything extra. Let him hear his truth and let him taste his grace. See, guys, it was never meant to be about us. It was meant to be about honoring him, reaching them, and serving each other. 
God didn't want us to build a church for the church, a clubhouse for the clubbed. He was trying to start a gloriously messy movement with a laser-focused message on a mission for God. The church was supposed to be a place where the curious and the unconvinced, the skeptics, the cynics, the used to believe, the broken, as well as the informed, the committed, and the sold out, get together to explore Christ, honor God, reach them, and serve each other. And Jesus says, on this rock, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my movement, and the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand against us. So, here at Capital City, we want to eliminate anything that makes it difficult for those who are turning to God. I used this metaphor last week, kind of like God has called us onto a ship. But this is not a cruise ship, this is a ship of war. And I suspect you know there's a wee bit of difference between a cruise ship and a ship of war, right? It's kind of like God has rescued us, he's enlisted us into his navy, he's placed us on his ship, and our ship is on a mission from God. And we've got two jobs to do. We need to rescue as many as we can, and then we need to get them safely to the other shore. That's our mission, our purpose, our why, right? Each of us has a different job to do. Some of us are sent out to find those who need rescue. Some of, those are, some of us are focused on rescuing those who are drowning, snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with keeping the enemy at bay. Others devote themselves to serving the crew, feeding the crew, strengthening the crew, training the crew. And all are important. All are critical to the success of our mission. But we have to keep focused on our mission. Here's the deal. We can't rescue them. We can't get them to the other shore without getting them onto the boat. And it's not going to work for us just to sail on by and hope they notice us and flag us down. The captain keeps sending us out to get them if we can. In fact, sometimes our captain asks us to risk our necks to get them because they're worth it to him. And we go. You know why? Because this is not a cruise ship. This is a ship of war. You see, you don't board a cruise ship to put yourself at risk. You board a cruise ship to be pampered and coddled. This is not a cruise ship. And some of them do come on board to check us out. We can't force them on board. We can't force them to stay on board. But we can make them feel welcome here, and cared for here, loved here. And I know sometimes newbies can be kind of a nuisance aboard our ship. They don't always think the same way we do, look the same way we do, act the same way we do. Sometimes they actually act like the ship is as much theirs as it is ours. <laughs> and they're right. Because this is not a cruise ship. On a cruise ship, you pay for your room and you pay for your food and you pay for your comfort. And it is all about you. But this is not a cruise ship. Sometimes we start to lose our focus and we start treating it like it is a cruise ship. Some of us want to make the cruise a little more comfortable so we put loungers on the deck for sunning and petition for better entertainment and more stopovers and better ports of call. And Sometimes we start to complain when the staff is inattentive. We begin seeing our ship as a cruise ship for this life bound to some cosmic cruise ship of heaven, right? And when things don't go well, we quarrel. So sometimes it becomes a, a rocky boat, an unharmonious boat. 
so that, tragically, some actually get off. And others that we are called to rescue get missed because we're preoccupied. And some of those we try to rescue refuse to get on because they don't like what they see. So periodically, we have to remind ourselves what kind of a ship this is and whose ship this is and what the mission of this ship is. We have to remember the why. Do you remember the why? Because we believe there really is a God and we believe that Jesus really is the Son of God and we believe that we need Jesus and they need Jesus. Our kids, our grandkids, our friends, our neighbors and our enemies need Jesus for now and for forever. So we exist to bring people face-to-face with Jesus and grow them up into Christ-driven 24-7 Jesus followers because all of us are prone to drift. So we exist to bring people to Jesus and then to drag each other to heaven. Right? So here's our plan. Our focus this year is going to be on making these more than just words. These are the convictions. All people need Jesus for now and for forever. God wants every single person saved, no exceptions. But God, God commands us to share Jesus. If you've tasted his grace, he wants you to pass it on. Reaching them is more important than serving each other. And we will do anything short of sin to bring people to Jesus. And we want these to be more than just words. Most of you guys know that I have a preaching partner, Randy Kirk. He's a pastor over in Cord in Indiana. We've been friends for over 35 years, and we can talk really straight to each other. Randy knows this church really, really well. And sometimes Randy can be mean. I've told you before he's ugly, but he's also mean, right? And here's what Randy says. He says, you guys at Capital City are great at dating and courting, but you're not very good at popping the question. We do so many things so well here at Capital City, we've got to get better at closing the deal. Doing anything short of sin to bring people face-to-face with Jesus, getting them to accept Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. We need to be using that baptistry way more. And that's going to be our focus, our focus for 2020. We're going to be challenging you repeatedly to take Jesus outside these walls. Two weeks ago, John was up here. John preached, our executive pastor, and he asked you this question. Who is your one? Remember that? Who's your one? That was December 29, last Sunday of 2019. Six days later, Saturday, January the 4th, one of our guys, George Cook, baptized one of his relatives right over there in that baptistry. He didn't even wait till Sunday. How cool is that? And he told John, there's my one. How cool is that? I hope he's just getting started. All of us, all of us can nudge somebody towards Jesus. Some of you guys are positioned by God to nudge many. Sometimes Christianity Today sends a special issue to pastors. In this last issue that came, it reported that only 6 to 7% of all churches are evangelistically effective. That's all. We want to be one of those. It also reported that if only 10%, if only one in 10 of, of us, of you guys, reach out regularly to outsiders, we're going to get there. In fact, we'll have our hands full serving and discipling new Jesus followers. How cool will that be? So we're going to be challenging you repeatedly this year to take Jesus outside these walls. And we're going to try to partner with you. 
when you bring your friends and your family inside these walls. We're going to be sponsoring nine or ten outreach events. These are outside of our normal worship services through the year. That was one of the reasons for our Jingle Jam a couple of weeks ago. It's the reason for our wild game feast coming up this weekend. One guy told me, I have a friend who's skittish about coming with me to church. He keeps pushing back, but he's all fired up about this wild game feast. That's cool. Whatever we can do to give him that first nudge. We're trying to give you an opportunity to invite your family, your friends, your neighbors to get a glimpse of Jesus with us, of doing life with us, because we need Jesus. We need him. And when you invite someone to a worship service like this and they come, and they'll come if you keep asking. We'll do whatever we can to have your back and give your family, your friends, a sense of God's truth and a sense of God's grace. We'll work hard. We'll greet them when they come here like they, like they matter, which they do, before the worship service ever starts. We're going to try to provide a worship experience every week that is God-honoring, culturally relevant, engaging, practical, and compelling. We're going to do whatever we can to help them hear God's truth, feel God's grace, and maybe biggest of all, sense his presence here with us. And we're going to challenge you to do some little things. Last week, our count here for worship was 874. That included about nearly 400 people in this room for the second worship hour. Room got a little tight. Seating was a little problematic for our latecomers, some of our guests. Parking was a little tight. So we're going to be encouraging you guys, just like we do at Easter, come early if you can. Park far, right? Bring one. And in the second service, if you see someone looking for a seat, scoot in. Give them a way to get to a seat, right? And after the service is over, we want to make the last impression on our guests just as positive as the first. In fact, we're going to be asking you to invite one of the guests to lunch periodically. And if you need, bring us the check, and we'll cover it. Unless, of course, you take them to Roos Chris, in which case we will hang you out to dry. Right? Why? People need Jesus. We believe that. Kids need Jesus. Our grandkids need Jesus. Our friends, our colleagues, our neighbors need Jesus. Whatever color they are, however old they are, however acceptable or unacceptable people might judge them to be, they need Jesus. He wants them in. And we're on a mission from God. However educated they are or not. However sophisticated they are or not. However abled they are or not. Guys, this is exciting. We're going to do something really good and God-honoring this year. This is Mike Napier. He's going to be coming up on here. He's going to talk to you in just a moment. He has been the pastor over at Schultville Christian Church for about 97 years, okay? But he's starting to transition to something new, and we're going to partner with him. Mike, I want you to come up here, tell us what you're doing, and tell us what we're going to be doing with you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, just on behalf of, um, of Ability Ministry uh, and, uh, and my wife and my family, I guess I should include them as well. Just want to thank you guys. want to thank Doc and the staff. want to thank the leadership here at Capital City. And thank you guys as a congregation for allowing me to come. And just to share with you what I believe to be a, a really exciting 
uh, I hate to use the word innovative because that word gets thrown around a lot, but innovative, it's something that nobody else really is doing right now. But it's an opportunity for us to partner together to reach um, what statistically and realistically is the most um, uh, unchurched people group uh, in in the world today. Uh, through Ability Ministry, and again, uh, what I'm going to be doing is I'm just going to try to kind of fast forward through some of this. Uh, in addition to having been um, a part of the church family, but also uh, been on staff there and, and entered into our 22nd year of ministry, actually, at Shopeville. Uh, I've been working for about the last two years and doing some uh, cheerleading work and some awareness raising and some traveling with uh, with Ability Ministry. And Ability Ministry just exists to, to make sure that we're giving people of all abilities, regardless of their ability, the opportunity to, uh, to come to know Christ. And so that's something that we've done. And so out of that has come a church plant model that we call Indispensable Church. And Indispensable Church, uh, and, and you'll know here in just a second where that name comes from. Maybe you've already guessed that. But what, what Indispensable Church is going to look like, and especially what it's going to look like here, is basically instead of planting one congregation somewhere, we're actually going to plant four uh, four indispensable church meetings um, in four different geographically, demographically chosen areas in, within host churches uh, within our brotherhood. And so basically what's going to happen is once a month initially, uh, there's going to be a meeting here. It's going to take place at Capital City. There'll be another one maybe in, in Spencer County, another one in Madison County, wherever, however this comes to pass. And so basically what will be happening is it will be a church service that is deliberate in our efforts to, to not only to embrace and to create this culture, this welcoming, loving culture uh, for, uh, for those of all abilities, not only those impacted by the disabilities, but also their families as well. But we're also going to give them uh, just a, an opportunity, again, just to, to be a part of a church family. And so we're really excited about that, really excited about what that's going to look like here uh, in, the, in the near future. Um, what we want to do is we want to do our best to eliminate the barriers that exist. And so I'm going to throw some statistics at you here for just a second and kind of helps us to understand why this is important. If you look at the CDC, and you can look these numbers up and check them, um, it varies according to what you look at, but about one in four adults live with some form of disability. Uh, in that also, which adds up to about 61 million adults. Um, of course, we know that cognitive uh, disability is more prevalent among those uh, among our younger adults. Adults. But what that basically means then also, uh, as you look at these statistics, is roughly, again, about 20%, about one in five people that you and I know, one in five of us at some point in time in our lives is going to be impacted by some form of disability. Now, we have a tendency to think about disability as something that you're born with. But, you know, we're, the reality is, is we're all one traumatic brain injury, one um, diabetic episode, one bad fall down the steps, uh, you know, away from being a, a part of the disability family. And so that's real important for us to keep in, in mind. Uh, again, we are uh, the large, I say we, we are reaching out to what is uh, undoubtedly the most uh, unreached, most marginalized, most pushed aside, most overlooked, um, unchurched people group that exists in society today. You couple that with the fact that when you look in these homes where there are, is a child or children who are affected by disability, that the marriages in those homes end in divorce up to as much as 85 to 88%, depending on what statistics you look at. So that should be really important to us as a church 
because they are unchurched and because so many of these marriages are ending in divorce. Yet, when you look statistically, fewer than one in 10 churches have any form of disability ministry whatsoever. And most of those are denominational churches as well. So that should be really, really important to us. So now, I thought we'd make this just a little bit more personal, maybe. When you look in the city of Frankfurt, uh, population just under 30,000, uh, people affected by disability under the age of 65, about 13.8%, just under 14%. Uh, so 3,800 uh, or just a little bit over. You increase that, take it out into Franklin County. Uh, Franklin County population is a little over 50,000. Uh, out of that, uh, that 50,000, about 12.3% or uh, just over 6,000 people are affected by disability. And you wonder why this is so terribly important. And, and the reason it's so important is, is that at Ability Ministry, we do believe that everybody is created. Of course, we believe that we're creating God's image, but we also believe that each one of us has a need to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we as the church, by our inaction, are denying him that ability, I just can't help but wonder that at some point in time that we're not going to have to give account for that. So I really believe it, and want to share some scripture with you and, and help you to understand that, that we don't believe that it's just a good idea. We don't believe that disability ministry is just an option. Uh, we believe that it's command, and we believe that it's a model for us in, in the teachings of Christ and the, teacher, in, in the holy inspired writers. Um, you get to, uh, and I spoke earlier today, when you look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, it talks about going and to, and, and to make disciples of all nations. And we wonder many times what that means. What does it mean to, to reach out to all nations? And, and I think we better understand that when we look at uh, what Jesus has to say to his disciples there in Acts chapter 1, when he tells them that you're going to be my, you're going to be my disciples. You're going to be the one to take my message out in, in Jerusalem and all, in, in all Judea and Samaria and the very ends of the earth. But the passage I think that comes to mind for me as much as any, and it's called, and known in the disability ministry circles as the Luke 14 mandate, is where Jesus is telling, uh, he's sharing with his host, and he's giving them some, some advice, and he tells them that when you, when you throw a party, when you give a banquet, that instead of inviting your friends and your rich, your rich friends and your neighbors and your family members who might be able to repay you by inviting you to their own party, instead invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And he says then that you will be blessed. And, you know, you think about that and, and, and you think, well, wow, you know, you, you would think that they would be blessed, but, you know, how can, can, can I be blessed? And when I look at, then if you go on and you look at, at, at as Jesus is teaching there and as he goes on and, and then he begins to, to share the parable with them and he says that there's a fellow who is throwing a party and this guy does exactly the opposite of what he just told this, that some of these folks that they should do. Instead, obviously he invited people that, uh, that he thought would maybe one day be able to pay him back, those he was closest to, those that were easier, those that he thought might be able to contribute to, uh, to maybe to, to his life and to his influence there in the community. And so what happens? is pretty soon they come back to him and they said, well, the invitations have been sent out. It says one by one, they begin to uh, come back to him and say, hey, we're not going to be able to make it. One says, hey, I've, you know, I've bought a field. I've got to go check it out. One of them says, I've, I've, I've bought a yoke of oxen. I've got to go check that out. I, I haven't, you know, I want to go take a look at them. One of them said, and I said this morning, it's probably the only one that had a legitimate excuse. He says, I just got married. My wife won't let me. And so, and so, but so all the, and so he says, well, that's fine. Okay. I understand. They don't want to come. So he says, so let's take it out a little bit further. So now let's reach out. Let's go out into the city streets, into the alleyways and let's invite them to come in. 
And they said, well, we've already done that. And he said, and still there's room at the table. And he says, well, here's what I want you to do. He says, what I want you to do is now I want you to go out into the, I want you to go out in the country. I want you to go out into the country lanes and the roads. And I want you to go beat the bushes. And I want you to go and I want you to reach out to those that nobody else is reaching out to. I want you to go out to those who have been pushed aside and marginalized and, and, and completely maybe overlooked and ignored. And he says, I want you to compel them to come in. Compel them to come in that my table might be full. I said this this morning, I go ahead and say it again. I don't believe that we can fulfill the Great Commission by deliberately overlooking such a large, important part of, of, of the kingdom work that we've been assigned. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 22, you'll see where the name comes from. You know, Paul is talking there about the, um, about the different parts of the body. And he's talking about how these uh, different parts of the body, some may think they're a little more important than the others. And in verse 22, he says that there are parts of the body that seem to be weaker. And you see how this applies to people who have disabilities. He says they seem to be weaker, weaker, but he says, on the contrary, in fact, these parts that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And when something is indispensable, it means you can't do without it. And guys, I'm just going to be honest with you. This most overlooked, marginalized, pushed aside, unreached segment of a people group that exists in our society today, I truly don't believe, we don't believe in ability ministry, that, this can, that we can do church without them. And I'll be honest with you, I don't want to do church without them. Um, people with disabilities, I've said, have always been a part of my life. I've had family members that were incredibly important to me that have been a part ever since I can, you know, ever since I, I have any ability to remember. Uh, but about 10 years ago, I have four grandchildren ranging from age 18 down to age 10. But about 10 years ago, there were two beautiful little girls that were born, uh, Riley and Chloe, my, daughter, my daughter's uh, twin, uh, twin daughters, my twin granddaughters. And one of them, Chloe, you see up there now, uh, it's just, and I said this morning, has just absolutely flipped my world upside down. I have become the absolute best and at the same time worst grandfather because of Chloe Grace that you could ever imagine. And what I want for her, and it's not just her, but for her, for children and adults everywhere like her, for, for their families, for their typically developing siblings, I want them, I want to know. Now, there may be some who will look at Chloe and you'll say, well, bless her little heart. She doesn't know any better. God will overlook her sin. And you know what? I hope there's a measure of truth in that because I've done a lot of foolish things in my life. And I hope he'll look at me in the same way. But I don't want to take that chance. I want her and people like her to have the ability, not only to be a part of a church family, but to come to know Jesus, to fill that God-shaped void that he's created in each and every one of us. I am so excited that God has led us to this point, that because of the wisdom and the vision and the understanding the willingness of, of, of Doc and this staff, this leadership here, this congregation, this body of believers here at Capital City, that we're going to be able to partner together to create and to host an indispensable church, launch date to be announced soon, here at Capital City Christian Church. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about all the things that that's going to bring. Um, and again, my hope and prayer is, is that at some point in time that this community is integrated into this church family and we don't have to call this a specialized ministry anymore. We just call it being the church. 
have a table set up outside. I'm going to be here if you have any questions. I would love to talk to you about this ministry. Thank you again, Doc. Guys, I'm really excited about this. I think this is a good God-honoring thing that we're going to be getting into. We don't know exactly the start date. Sometime this year, there's going to be a third service here at Capital City. We don't know exactly the time, whether it's going to be Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. There will also be classes periodically for the families of those with disabilities. And it's going to be a part of who we are here at Capital City Christian Church. Mike's going to be here from time to time. He's going to be talking to some of you guys because to make this thing work well, a lot of us are going to have to get engaged and get involved. Isn't that cool? By the way, we've talked a lot about you need Jesus. And if you want to talk about Jesus as a part of your life, I'm going to hang out here both during this Lord's Supper time that's coming up and also after the service. We've got some of our elders and some of our staff nearby. We'd love to talk to you. There's a room in the back that has prayer over the top. One of our elders has been in there praying for you, and he'd love to chat with you about Jesus. But don't leave this place. If God's pulling on you, talk to one of us. Let's get you started on this path. Now let's stand, give God the honor and the praise that he deserves.